think that the fire service goes through in waves. It always has. You know, we went through the ind indirect attack method, and we'll talk about layman here in a minute once we start talking about books. But it's important to know where we came from in order to be able to strive to be where we want to be. You know, you can't just ex nay what we did in the past. You have to learn from it and find out what, why. The why is missing on a lot of, of what is taught. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Weekly Scrap, number 41, Firehouse Vigilance, and special guest, I gotta say your name right, Romagus. Romagus, you nailed it. All right, I worked so hard. So, Kyle Romagus, uh, Smoothbore Cartel, Captain, East Montgomery County Fire, Engine Company Resurrection, passionate with the Oath Keepers organization, FD Tactics, and all the great speaking and instruction and classes. Um, so much stuff you guys have put together. Uh, and I don't say this lightly. You are the very definition of leave it better than you found it. So thank you for being. Oh, man, I appreciate it. Thank you for being a guest on Weekly Scrap number 41. And welcome, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. Is there anything I missed kind of in the intro there? I, you got your fingers in so many pies that it's hard to touch on them all. <laughs> yeah, it's it's difficult, man. But uh, I try. I'm a busy guy, but I try to stay busy. It keeps me sane. Right on, right on. Uh, to everyone watching live, if you have questions for Kyle or myself, please don't hesitate. Send them in the comments. I will ask him, and we will try our best to answer them or at least give you our opinions. So that's it. That's the intro out of the way. So I just want to lead off with straight into, excuse me, how I first met you, which met being using a social media term and met is uh, somebody made a post in Facebook just randomly about a Google Drive with all this information in it. And someone said, where'd you get that document? And they said, oh, it's Kyle Ramagas' uh, Google Drive. Send him an email. He'll share it with you. And I was like, really? So I, I sent off an email. And sure enough, boom, like two days later, I had access to what might be the most impressive collection of fire service documents all in one place. I mean, from the Book of Andy, the uh, the – just the sheer collection of tactics, articles, fire nuggets, um, PDFs. It, I, my words fail when trying to describe the immensity of the drive. Like every, sometimes when I'm bored and I want to find something new, I'll just go to that, that drive document and I'll just start digging through the folders to find something to read. And it's, again, unreal. So, so talk to me about the, the drive and where it started and how it grew. It's a bottomless pit, man, and it grows. <laughs> it grows every day. You know, uh, I don't add to it as much as I used to, um, but I'm about 138 gigs deep now <laughs> worth is, of information in there. It is unreal. I'm serious. I, uh, I actually took the uh, the Book of Andy compiled by Gary Lane that you have on there, that PDF, and I took it and had it printed out into a physical copy of the Book of Andy so I could have it. Uh, yeah. And I had no Probably. idea. Go ahead. That's the Engine Man's Bible. Probably one of the most pivotal pivotal documents in engine work right there. Everything stems off of it. You know, anybody who's doing anything engine related is very, very close related to anything that's in that book and the engine manual from FD and Y. I mean, it's all there, you know, but the drive got started because a buddy of mine, I don't know if you, you recognize it or not, but the drive is called the bro drive. Oh, okay. You know, so it's called the bro folder. So a buddy of mine named John Bro was getting uh, promoted in his full-time department. And he reached out to me and said, hey, man, I'm a newly you know, promoted officer. 
I'm looking for some material that I can that I can reference for a lot of uh, what we're going to be doing because he was a new officer with limited experience. Sure. You know, and he wanted to be able to swallow as much information as possible. So I was like, sure, man. And that's when I started putting it together. And uh, it has just grown to an enormous amount of information. And I keep constantly dumping into it. And I don't know if, if bro even looks at it anymore. I hope he does. Right. But uh, uh, there it's shared with hundreds of people around the country. And it's not just my information anymore, which is awesome. Um, people have shared their libraries with me and I've compiled it all into one huge reference, you know, but uh, I hope I don't get in trouble for it one day. <laughs> I still uh, am awaiting my cease and desist letters. You know, I can, I can see. say that even if you do, which I don't think you will, because the, the more I do this, the more guys I talk to, the more I realize how many of them are selfless and not in it for any sort of, this is mine. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. um, the amount of good you have done with it so far, I think will outweigh anything that may come from that side of things. But uh, I, wa- I did want to ask, you have the, the Google Drive again, <laughs> but then you also have the file, uh, the file section of Engine Company Resurrection. Are they... Yeah. Uh, mirrors of each other is it have, oh no have they grown there's completely? so much okay more in the google drive. <laughs> okay so much more. and and there's a lot of stuff in the google drive that's not necessarily only engine related you know and i try to keep the file section anything i input because anybody can input anything into the file section right. obviously if there's copywritten material in there i try to xnay that out of there because last thing i want to do is end up in handcuffs sure for somebody you know something somebody else put in there you know, and uh, I've gotten uh, requests to remove some stuff in the past um, from some pretty big companies. <laughs> and uh, and I understand fully, sure. you know, but um, the, the whole goal of it is to make the information accessible and leave the job better than you found it. And that was the whole goal of VCR. And we're probably getting ahead of it, you know, ahead of things. But that's the whole goal is to get the information to the people. You know, and that's my only that's my only qualm with a lot of large companies is that it seems like they would rather see the information die yeah. than to distribute it to the masses in a way like I'm distributing it because I'm not charged. There's no membership fee. You know, it's it, it's out there. All you got to do is reach out and grab it. Yeah. You know, so we'll see how long that lasts and uh, see if I end up in handcuffs one day. But I hope not. You know, I, I will be heavy heart knowing that I have at least attempted to make a difference, you know, even if that happens and the intentions are, are nothing but, but good. I, I assure you the, the, just in my uh, small sphere of my uh, department, the, uh, like I went and printed off the, uh, the PDF in there, the journeyman's uh, I forget the, but you know, it's a huge file and it's just a collection of uh common sense if you're in the fire but it's just such a great tool resource and i printed i didn't print it off actually justin lorenzen of okc fire he actually printed it off for me and gave it to me as a gift and it's a, it's a massive uh, just that one document and that's just one out of i don't know probably yeah. a, over over a thousand easily over oh, a man, thousand I lost count. <laughs> so okay that's so actually from rise above i believe is from the I used to be able to rattle off. I've, I've actually passed that book around so much. I for, it's been a while since I've actually had it in my physically had it in my possession, but it's gone uh, in a big old circle. Um, yeah. 
So the Google Drive exists. Do you still pass it out when people send you for email permission and things like that? I don't want to inundate you with uh, requests, but. <laughs> sure, man. If anybody contacts me, I'll give them access to it. And this was probably a huge mistake because I'm going to get so many requests for it. But that's good, though, man. I would rather the information get out there. But uh, one thing I do now is I give people viewing rights. I right. used to give people just editing rights, and then I just shared the, the drive with them. They oh, could wow. input anything. They could export anything. But that ended up biting me, you know, because I went in there one day, and it was probably about – it was the early stages. It was probably under 80 gigs worth of information in there. And I shared it with a guy and he went and moved all the folders into other folders that he, that he would. So basically he just reorganized all of it. And I opened it one day and it was all gone. Oh, I'm wow. like, Oh, <laughs> yeah, I can only it. imagine the I amount. Like, of- oh my God, the gold mine is missing, you know, but thankfully it was just renamed and in another spot. So since then I've only given people viewing rights, they can download whatever they want from it. They can view it. You know, but um, I, I'm hesitant to give people editing rights now because it just takes one click of a mouse and it's all gone. Oh, there's no doubt. I, I can't believe you did at one point. I mean, that's that is uh, a set of. Yeah, that's it's crazy because, like you said, it could all be gone. Uh, OK, Ed Klasky said, good afternoon. Greg went good source of information. Hannah Elliott says, I've got the Google Drive. Uh, Garrett Rice chimed in and said they want it distributed. They just want to charge talking about people holding back the information. But he also asked, where can we access the file? And this is where you access the file. This is the man right here. Uh, contact yeah, him. Gmail address only. So awesome. Uh, social media. That's the next thing I want to move on from the Google drive, moving on to social media and say, uh, I want to hear your, your kind of your roundabout story of how you got to where you're at now. Uh, with ECR specifically or just in general? Kind of uh, just from the get-go and then moving, I mean, from the smoothbore to the to the ECR and then, the Google, of course, all of it's intertwined. I know it's your whole story, but I just kind of want to hear it in, told in your words. So it all started with ECR. Um, one day, me and a battalion chief from another shift were riding around, and, and what we used to do, and we still do sometimes, is when I get off work in the morning, I'll just go straight over to him, and he's a battalion chief. So we ride around what we refer to as looking for fires. You know, so we just ride around the district looking for smoke plumes. You know, and that that gives us the chance to have that kitchen table coffee talk inside the Tahoe. And one of the things that we were talking about was how divisive and ugly a large quantity of social media is on the fire side and just in general, but sure. geared towards the fire side, you know, there's so much negativity. There's so much out there. There people are real quick to judge other people's tactics and there's no filter, you know, and my buddy Chris Gilpin says it best is that if you were standing in front of whoever you're talking to right now, it would drastically change your, your, your delivery. At least it may not change the way you feel about it, but how you deliver it when you're in arm's length of somebody is different than if you're behind a keyboard and feel safe, you know, and it was just so ugly, the majority of it. So anyway, we were talking about being able to have a place where guys would feel secure or firefighters in general, not just guys. There's a lot of females, 27,000 people in the group, you know, and they would be able to feel secure to ask questions and, and post videos and ask for advice without having to fear retribution from the public. You know, if, when you put something out in public, everybody has a chance to get in there and give you their two cents. Sure. But 
I try to moderate it in a way to where it it influences whatever the question or situation is positively. You may feel negatively, but but I request that you keep it to yourself or be very um, your delivery needs to be there to where you can you can add to the conversation versus being able to take away from because debates are important, sure. very important, you know, but having a moderated debate where it doesn't come down to emotions is very important for my, for my personal opinion and being able to, to create an atmosphere. And I hate, I hate that I have to moderate it so much and I don't really have to anymore, but um, it kind of moderates itself now, you know, but uh, I'm the only admin on the page. You know, so if you're a member of the page and you see how much information is there and there's one guy trying to read everything and trying to filter through the negativity. And I don't just delete people. You know, I don't just block them from being there. I always give them a chance. (laughs) I was going to touch on it because it's great when someone there's like a good debate going on or even someone posts something like, hey, I'm checking out this. What do you think? You know, and then someone comes along with some snide uh out the side of their mouth, half-ass comment, and I, you, you know, eventually I see Kyle come in and say, "Is this what you meant to say? Because this is what it came across like." And it's like you, it's like that warning shot, like, "Hey, yeah, uh, explain yourself." For <laughs> sure, so it's it awesome positive. to see it happen. Yes, you know, do it as if you were sitting across the kitchen table from a guy and and sitting there having a conversation in arm's length, in reach of this, you know. And a lot of people don't have that mentality and that's what i'm trying to build with er you can feel how there's a lot of groups out there there's tons of groups out there that you can say anything you want to say to somebody and be as ugly as you want to them or about them but ecr is just not it you know there's groups out there for that but i just want to keep it positive keep the conversation positive and we can have a debate and we can disagree but let's disagree in a way to where our point doesn't get lost in an emotional conversation and we start taking personal attacks. And that's where it usually goes when people run out of things to say or run out of information to back their point. They just go straight to emotional in attack mode. And I try to, to put out to guys that, it, that you don't have to do that. you know. And if you want to do that, take it to a private message. Sure. Don't do it in a public forum for everyone to read and see. And it's not you know, uh, in, a, in an area to where it makes yourself look like the worst part of that conversation. Right on. No, and and I, and I got to say that uh, you have had some of the best debates on ECR, and I think that's one of the reasons it's so popular because you can have civil debate and discourse uh, with people who are diametrically opposed to each other and still able to have that civil discourse. And 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 I and like you said, I'm sure early on it must have been like a an, a full time job curating oh, yeah. the yeah, stuff. But lately, it's it's like now you've you've established the culture. And it it is obviously uh, overwhelmingly popular with people. So uh, kudos and everything like that. So what about a uh, smoothbore cartel? Uh, touch on it. Uh, smoothbore cartel was started by my another battalion chief on my at my department. I ne- everybody thought that I ran smoothbore cartel from the jump street, and that's not how I, I was involved with it. So for those that don't know me personally, my whole goal with smoothbore cartel started with raising money to send guys to training that couldn't afford to go. So I'm blessed to be able to financially afford to go to many, many conferences all around the country, flights, hotel registration fees. You know, I 
I am so into being better at this job that it's it's important to me and I'm able to go to conferences all around the country all year long. You know, last year I went I attended 16 That's and that wasn't real. That's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the problem was is that I was seeing the same faces at all the different conferences. And just by looking at the attend the membership of ECR, there's 27,000 people in that group. And I wanted to give the the guy that can't afford flight hotel registration for any conference the ability to go and my goal was to my ultimate goal at the beginning of this was to get sponsorship from united delta southwest get vouchers from hotels and then talk my way into getting a free registration for a guy and then pick somebody right you know if you want to go to this and you're able and you don't you can't afford it i will send you because you're if I can affect one guy on a crew, I can affect the entire crew. You affect the crew, yeah. The crew, I can affect the station. Yes. And if I can affect the station, I can affect the battalion. And battalion leads to department change. You know, and that was the goal. And not necessarily gearing people towards what I think is important and the way I think tactically things should be done, but just opening their mind that there is more out there than your square miles inside your district and giving guys the ability to get out there and get the other information. A lot of it may not work for for you, but you may be able to cherry pick some stuff and bring it back to make your organization more efficient. So my battalion chief started Smoothbore Cartel, and that stemmed from the uh, attitude that we have received locally. You're never a legend in your own land. Right on. You know, so so we, we met extreme resistance in changing our tactics on the fire ground uh, from locally from the other departments and still do. We're the redheaded stepchildren of our county. And so we were put in a group by ourselves. We were isolated, you know, in, in the immediate area around us. And he came up with, you know, we're, when we went, made the switch to all smoothbore, we were just outcasts. You know, we were the outcasts. And essentially, we were isolated, and that's where he came up with the first patch, this one right here, of the smoothbore cartel. We're just going to embrace it. Right you on. know, we're, we're the cartel. You know, we're the smoothbore cartel. Nobody likes us, but we don't care. You know, and, and if you're going to isolate us, then we're going to embrace it. Right on. And that's what it originally started with. And I got into it with him because he offered to give me a dollar or a percentage and went into a percentage off of every sale. And I told him, I was like, man, because he never intended to make a retail company and sell products, you know, or sell T-shirts and hats and and patches. It was just for us. But when he started it, I told him, I was like, man, I go all over the country and I know guys will buy this, but I'll push it. But give me something back so I can send guys to training all over the country. (laughs) That's how it started was I push the, the brand. I sell it for him. And he gives me a percentage of the profits so I could send guys to training. And then it got to the point to where it got a little bit too big for him to manage. He's got, you know, multiple children at home. He's got a, a, almost a bad basketball team at home. Fair enough. You know, and it was just, it was getting to the point to where it was a little much for him. And he was interested in selling it, you know, the company. And he came to me and was like, I can't think of anybody else that I'd want to sell this company to. I mean, you're the face of it. Everybody thinks you run it anyway. Right, right. So, and he was kind of like, 
the, and this is going to show my age a little bit, but kind of like Inspector Gadget, where the the guy sitting back in the in the shadows stroking the cat. Right. You know, he was that guy. Nobody knew who he was, but he was the guy who ran it. But everybody saw me. You know, but um, that's where it got started. And then I purchased the company for him, and I still to this day take a percentage of the profits, a larger percentage now because it's all in my control, um, and a larger percentage of that, and donate to raffle items and to send guys to training, you know, and the ultimate goal is that I don't have to raffle anything and the money's just there or the vouchers for the flights and hotels and registrations are there. And I just pick a guy, you know, the first 50 people who comment on this post are in the raffle and I choose one of them and then bam, there you go. Free hotel, free registration, free, uh, air flight to a conference of your choice. Wow. No. And, and I will not lie to you. The first time I didn't, I, I didn't know you from, I, like I actually had given, gotten permission from you for the Google drive, but it was the name Kyle, you know, email Kyle and you'll get this. And I did, and I had it and I loved it. Don't get me wrong. And then I was running firehouse vigilance page and there'd be these, uh, another giveaway popping up, you know what I'm saying? And it's you talking about, okay, we're giving away this to revolutionary fire tactics delay. We're giving away this to water on the fire conference. We're giving away this to the ODP or what insert, whatever it was. And I'm like, who is this? And what is going on now? Later on, I, you know, I'm a little slow. I'm a fireman. I ride an engine, but, uh, uh, I put it together. It's the same guy. So it was, it was crazy to figure all that out and put it together. So, uh, I can't, uh, how many guys would you say have gone now have been sent? Would you say through raffles? I've done, it? I've done over 10 and some of them were multiples like, uh, chief Ike. I just did one for water on the fire 2020. That's next month. And I just sent four guys to that one. Wow. You know, so. And last year on the same time, I sent two guys to water on the fire. So I would say probably about 15, 15 guys have gone free ride. Yeah, the only that's... thing you got to do is buy beer and food so and well... anything that you can buy when you get there. And, and that's the goal because there's so many guys out there that are hungry for the information and want to go, but they just can't either. They financially can't afford it or, you know, they, they just can't put it all together, Sure, you know, and I wanted to be that guy for them. To say, look, man, if you have the drive, I have the ability, and I will raise money to send you to this conference so you can bring it back. And the only thing that I ask in return is that you share the information sure. with your people. Don't hey, bottle so it up. If people want to help um, in, in regard to – because obviously uh, Corona, COVID uh, has, has slowed down the giveaways and the conferences especially. There's nothing to send them to for, for the last few months. Uh, but it's ramping back up. Uh, the conferences, hopefully not the COVID, but um, if people want to help, what can they do? They could just reach out to me through my, uh, either my personal Facebook or through the, the ECR mm-hmm. page. And um, it's, it's not a nonprofit, so to speak. I have a DBA over it, you sure. know, but I retur- my tax return, I zero profit. Everything is cleared out by the end of the year. It's not about making money, you know, and and I priced the, raffles to a point to where i've got a little bit of because i've i'm gonna be honest with you i've lost money on almost every single one of these i've done right and had to take funds of my own to finish it out because i made a commitment to right. some guys and i don't want to have to go back on it because the flight you know my buddy shane Feruta from hawaii he he won a couple of them and i'm sitting here like man i priced you know three to four hundred dollars for a round trip flight and this guy live in missouri from- could he yeah <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that one for sure I lost money on, but it, that's, it, it's not, it doesn't yeah. matter to me. I will put in my money in order to make it happen because I made a commitment to these guys. But I started, it, it, it took me a while to figure it out, but I started building in some cushion for flights because 
I mean, flights is really the only thing that's a question mark. Registration is set. Right. Hotel fees are set prior to. But if a guy's flying from, you know, 800 miles away versus 8,000 miles away, those are two different prices for those flights. No doubt. You know, so that's where it comes into the question mark. But, um, yeah, for sure. And Ed Klasky chimed in and said, and they are legit conferences. He, Kyle, helps folks go to where you have to try not to take something away. You have to try to not take something away. I'll get it right, Ed, I promise. So. <laughs> Ed Klasky's a good dude. I've seen him a bunch, man. Awesome. And I, uh, uh, If they want to donate, they can just reach out to me. I've got a PayPal set up, and it's all through PayPal. And the reason I do that is because it tracks everything. It tracks money in, tracks money out. So if anybody wants to see records, all I have to do is send them the PayPal sheet. And they can see that I don't have forty grand in the PayPal. Right. You know, they can see all the negatives. Of, <laughs> right. Of here. You know, Absolutely, man. Well, hopefully but we if can they want to donate. They can reach out to me and donate through the PayPal. Hopefully, we get the word spread, and, and not only not only the word spread to get the the raffle and the opportunity to win to more people, but more people can pitch in so that you don't have to go on the negative ever to send someone to get get this information out there. Uh, private message from Tommy. Tommy, I I go back to work next week. And so I will shave next week when I have to. I've been off for two weeks, and I go back next week. So besides, I got I got Kyle as a guest on the scrap. I got to have a little bit of a moustache. There you go. And I got Garrett. And I've contemplated taking this thing off. Man, the mask <laughs> does not help the mustache at all. Fair enough. Yeah. The masks on everything we encounter in the public at work. So I've I've been close the last couple of weeks of letting it go. I got Chief Rice is in the in the in the chat. So I got to have a. A mustache to represent. Anyway, but it'll oh, be man. gone. It'll be gone next that week when I go back to work. Go ahead. The sorry. The most beautiful mustache in Texas is I, Chief Rice. It's hard I to argue. I aspire to have a mustache as beautiful as that man. He came up and taught uh, ten step or ten ten lessons in leadership up here for our fools group up here in OKC, and it was pretty awesome. So, uh, <laughs> all right, onward and forward. Tactics and differences. This is one of the things I want to talk to you about, which is. Um, you are an opinionated person. There is no, I don't think anybody's going to argue with you on that. Um, but you have a very unique, uh, take on tactics and being able to, and we've already touched on it a little bit talking about ECR, but go ahead and, and discuss it. And you're kind of tactics and differences. So firefighting is local, man. And that's something I got from, from Jeff shoot, you know, um, it, you cannot make a playbook for the entire country and expect people to operate the same way. It's just not going to happen. Now, our fire's different, very limited, you know. I mean, you run a house fire in Texas, and you run a house fire in, you know, New England or California, you're going through the front door, you know, making three turns to make the room. You know, are they really that different? You know, Fields has a great way of explaining that. You know, I mean, there's slight differences, but what you're going to have different is resources, staffing, and culture. Those are the big differences that affect tactical deployment models. And before I was able to communicate with thousands of people across the country, just like everybody else, I had a sphere of influence in a bubble that I remained in. And one of the greatest things about ECR is that you get commentary and advice from all parts of the country. And it helped me realize through this journey that not everybody is going to be alike in their tactical deployment model. Like, for instance, the most common thing that drives more debates than anything is mask up before or after you get there. You know, <laughs> yeah. and from my part of Texas, and I used to say Texas, but I was corrected 
by some really close friends that are in northern Texas that they do things a little different. So I just assumed that everybody masked up on the rig before they got there until I started being able to speak to other guys from other districts. And I understand why, you know, um, we were very heavily influenced and still are by the Houston fire department, just like anybody else, anybody around FDNY is going to be heavily influenced from FDNY. Anybody around Chicago, same thing and so on and so on. You try to emulate what you see as successful or what you see as a successful culture. And Houston has been a large part of our tactical deployment model or was until we realized that we cannot do what they do. I don't have 60 firemen. This is an over-exaggeration, but I don't have 60 firemen showing up on my first alarm. I can't send guys into the structure and just not ever, never open a nozzle and just have them roll around and the fire goes out. You know, but <laughs> we tried to act that way for a long time here locally and found out over watching sunrises and smoke plumes that we can't operate the way they do. And we had to adjust our tactical deployment model to meet our capabilities. And I think that's where everybody has to be is like I said, at the beginning of this thing, firefighting is local from shoot. You know, you have to be able to, to understand what your staffing level, your resources and your culture are, and those are going to influence your tactical deployment, you know? Um, But I have some pretty strong opinions on engine work specifically. And, uh, and I'm not out to sell anybody. They're doing it wrong, you know, but, if you ask me my opinion, I'm going to give it to you. You know, I've, I have refrained from <laughs> handing it out unsolicited in a lot of cases. But um, if you're asking someone their opinion, you should be ready to receive it. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. And I, I got to tell you, I've stolen some stuff. from. I like, uh, I think one of the things I took from you and I don't know where you got it from, but I took it, I got it from you, which is the, there's really no difference between uh, the nozzles at 1100 until until you hit 1100 degrees basically correct you know and so in my personal opinion and i get that from resources that i've studied you know that's not kyle romagus with a thermometer watching water vapor happen (laughs) right you know so one of my biggest resources for that was jason vestal and eric bridges article the quantitative approach to to nozzle selection dude you i don't know which podcast i saw you talk about it on but yes go ahead sorry man that is uh that was that ended the debate for me and the fact that that made it through the technical panel and and because when you put something out in fire engineering like that, they dissect it, legal looks at it, you know, they, you have to pretty much, you got to go through hoops to get something that um, controversial put out in print with fire engineering's name on the top of it. Sure. You know, and, and just by that going that far and the lack of a retraction, that was enough for me. You know, and do I need to go out and test scientifically all this information from that particular article? I can rely on the ability of the technical panel to disprove it or not, you know, but that was a game changer for me. The debate was over at that point, but it also clued me into the fact that it doesn't matter up until that thousand degree point, you know, small fire in a trash can. It doesn't matter. Right. You know, small fire in a living room that that's well ventilated and not going to flash. It doesn't matter. But in my personal opinion, and this is where my nozzle choice comes in for my district, my buildings. And you have to look at that. Is that I want a weapon that I can immediately cause positive change in that worst case scenario atmosphere. 
which happens to be the 1100 and plus degree mark. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So I want to be able to have a weapon that I can use and instantaneously make things better. And to me, the large droplet is what's going to make that happen for me. Now I don't dog on fall guys. You know, I, I, uh, I used to, <laughs> you know, and everybody grows and I have grown to understand that not everybody's going to get along, you know, and, and there has to be some, there has to, and, and take a word out of uh, Laguerre's uh, lingo is there has to be more convergence and not divergence and, oh, and being God. able to have these conversations and be able to discuss things with each other civilly. Um, there's give and take, you know, and some guys, you got the guys that, you know, I've been fighting fire with fog nozzles for 25 years and all the fires went out, you know, that's great. But you know, how many of those did you, or were failures that you count as a success? Right. You know, what's your, what's your level of success? And, and Scott Thompson says it best. How do you measure success you in your organization? Yes. Is it when the air brake hits back at the fire station, you don't have an empty seat. Is that how you measure success? Because we can do nothing and have that happen. Right. You know, we can show up and just watch the building burn down, high five in the front yard, and go home. Is Got another one. <laughs> Saved another one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right I on. ain't lost the lab yet. <laughs> you know, and I've been doing it this way for twenty five years, and you're not going. Ego comes into it, and it becomes an emotional argument at that point. Right. When, when, and the problem with the emotional argument with most people that try to institute change like this in their organization, if they've been a fog nozzle department for forty five years or longer and they try to institute smoothbore, you know, either a, the person who's trying to institute change doesn't understand enough about the topic in order to build a case that's irrefutable or it turns into an emotional argument because the guy you're trying to get to change. This is the guy that put this in process in the first place. Right. And then it becomes an emotional argument and, and there's no winning an emotional argument. Everybody loses in an emotional argument. You bring them down to the mud and you and you roll around in the mud together and you got to be able to present information in a way that where that doesn't happen. No, that's impressive. And that's and again, man, uh, if you anybody listening, anybody who listens in the future, if you're not a member of Engine Company Resurrection, go apply to be a member, because what he's talking about here, you can post a question on there and have the de facto experts come in and weigh in with their opinions and not and beyond opinions like facts but uh, you can have you can ask a water question have dennis laguerre answering you that day uh, you can ask a nozzle question have brian brush answering you that day it's um unbelievable resource and then just i'm a lurker i don't even hardly post anything i just read just read the threads and it's so much knowledge so anyway uh, thank you for that. But yeah, tactics and differences. I wanted to touch on that. So you did a really good job and you've already touched on so much here, but nozzles, uh, I want to hit you with nozzles. Obviously you've already touched on it a little bit, but your choice of course, being is a seven eighths, you a 15, 16 or strictly seven eighths. I'm a seven eighths guy, but All I do carry a 15, 16 on my rig, you know, so we, we are seven eighths because our staffing level, I want a nozzle that my guys can open and keep it open and move it. And that lower nozzle reaction gives us the ability to do that. And just it, if you're on the fence with your 15, 16, 7, 8 debate, take it to the membership and find out what their capabilities are. A closed nozzle flows no water. I don't care what's written on the side of it. If the sun gun's closed, it's flowing nothing. Nothing. You know, so one of the things that, that, 
was really revolutionary in my mindset was this was the test of being able to test guys and and find out which type of uh, which flow they were able to open and keep open and push to the back wall of the Charlie side of the structure, you know, and that's worst case scenario, right? You know, you go to conferences all around the country and they're pushing from the threshold to the back wall. And we do that in oath keepers as well, but we don't do that in your first hour and a half of being in the class. That's a, a point that you get and you graduate to, you know, you, you gain body mechanics and then move to the next step and move to the next step and move to the next step. But worst case scenario, if I've got a freight train chugging out of the threshold of this door, I have to fix that and keep that nozzle open until I make the fire room, whether that be 10 feet left turn into the room or whether that be all the way to the backside of the structure or even up a stairwell, you know, and being able to put a weapon in guys' hands that they can open, keep open and move with short staffing is why I prefer the seven eights and we as a department, because I didn't choose the seven eights. <clears throat> I didn't choose the smooth bore. <laughs> Howard Reinwald did, which is my fire chief. He was right. the first one in our organization to say, Hey, there's a better way. And because we came from 100 PSI fog nozzles to 75 PSI no- fog nozzles on some rigs. And then it was just all over the place. And we were nine different fire departments. Right. And it really wasn't until Howard took control of his shift first and then the department as a whole next. And it was like a, uh, it was like a hostile takeover, man, uh, when when Howard took the reins. And we're able to institute change at a very large level culturally in our department now. That's awesome. And I, I got Howard coming on in a – I want to say I'm looking at my schedule, August 10th. And so I got to pick your brain first and then, then your chief's brain next. So yeah, I'm looking- he's a great dude, man. I wouldn't want to have anybody else at the head of my organization. That guy has nothing but support from myself and, and every crew member that we have. And it's important for the bottom to support the top no, no and the doubt. top to support the bottom, you know, and, and we're able to work together in a way to where we can institute real change. Absolutely. Now for FD tactics, are you part of FD tactics? Is that all him or is that both of you or? We both teach it. So we have a lot of cadre members and we just expanded to a truck cadre. Um, but I'm not a part of that. I got nothing to do with truck work, you know, but um, we, it started with myself and Howard and a battalion chief that's on duty. And how that started was, uh, I don't know if you remember, but um, there was a department, that a volunteer department, that made a fire, and they're, they're very low budget, low manpower, and essentially some pictures came out of this fire where neighbors were assisting them flow water, neighbors were changing air bottles, you know, and they just got tore up in, in social media. And that was so ugly, you know, and so many people are so quick to jump on guys like that instead of analyzing why, why do you think they made the decisions that they made? Is it because that's the only decision they have in their, in their arsenal and, and come to find out that what they did the best they could. So a buddy of mine named Dave Mellon reached out to me and said, after all this happened and uh, he's from Valor fire training and he reached out to me and said, Hey man, I don't know if you've seen this, and this was like the week of, but let's go help these guys. Now, you know, instead of bashing everybody in, in this organization, let's do something about it. And I was all in. And this was before FD Tactics even started. This was like the the founding moment. The germ. Yeah, this was this was the moment that FD Tactics was created. And basically what we did is is 
I contacted uh, Howard and said, look, man, Mellon reached out to me. He wants to go help these guys, and he covered search and VES with them, and he wants us to do the engine part of it. And Howard was all over it, absolutely. So we went down there, and we taught him a free class. We didn't charge him anything. Um, free class. You know, we got it 2604 approved. So they actually um, got reimbursed for everything that they did there with the, the um, cost of the food and cost of, cost of the equipment and everything like that. You know, and we went down there and we had a two day engine class with them. And, and Mellon uh, brought down some guys from Valor Fire Train. They did a VES and search class for them. And instead of tearing these guys down in social media, we wanted to help them because nobody was doing that right. that we knew of. You know, nobody was reaching out to say, hey, how can I help? You know, it was all it was all negativity, you know, and I, I can't take credit for that one. That was Mellon. He, he pulled us in on it, you know, but that was the origination of FD Tactics. And we basically taught them how we do things in East County. And that's what we teach for FD Tactics. The first engine due class is the playbook from East Montgomery County. The flat load that we run, how we deploy it, how we use nozzles, the Camella base, you know, the nozzle mechanics, how we push stairs. It's basically the engine manual from East Montgomery County is what we teach. And it's not for everybody, but if, if we stay in our lane, we don't teach standpipe classes. We don't teach truck work. I come from the land of no trucks up until about two weeks from now, when we get our first, uh, Quint, it's, it's a ladder truck, but you know, it's got pumps and hoses on it. So people will look down upon that, but we don't have a truck company culture. <laughs> right? It's all done off the engine. You know, so, and we just recently brought a, a truck cadre in that's going to teach that. And we're real adamant about staying in our lane. Can I teach you a standpipe class? Sure. I understand enough about standpipes to teach you that. But I would rather bring somebody in that does that every day. Anthony Rowett, Ray McCormick. You need to hear that. Dave McGrail. You need to hear that from them. You know, but Brian Brush. You know, but can I teach that? Sure. But I want to stay in my lane. Credibility is very important to, to us. You know, I don't. I have no business teaching guys how to do truck work because I don't do truck work every day. I'm I'm an engine man, you know. So I stick to what we do. That's awesome. <laughs> I just like sitting here listening to you talk about it, man. Uh, <laughs> if I, if you get tired of me rambling, man, just tell me and I'll stop. Dude, believe me, I'm just sitting here like like a like a guy at church. Uh, <laughs> number five, uh, the safety shift. I really wanted to touch base with you on this because this has been. Um, I've, I've been ta- I've talked to a few the last few guests about this, which is the us versus them our safety is more important than, than, than theirs, you know, and that, that's, that really seemed to have taken a hold of the culture of the fire service nationally, probably pockets, you know, that weren't affected, but that, that just seemed to be a way it was. Um, where do you feel like it's at? And there's been a ton of pushback over probably the last, I would say the last 10 years, you know, been pushing back against that and saying, no, we're here for them. Um, how do you feel that's at? Where do you feel that's at? What do you, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. That's part of it, man. I mean, that's uh, the whole culture nationally. Uh, so what's your take on the safety shift? Where is it at? Where does it need to go? <clears throat> I think that the fire service goes through in waves. It always has, you know, we went through the ind- indirect attack method and we'll talk about layman here in a minute once we start talking about books, but it's important to know where we came from in order to be able to strive to be where we want to be. You know, you can't just ex what we did in the past. You have to learn from it and find out what, why. The why is missing on a lot of of what is taught in the fire service these days, in my opinion. But we go through waves in the fire service, and we're in an upward trend in a wave right now. Who's to say it won't change? You know, but um, I think that the mentality 
is definitely going back towards the 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 citizen, you know. But um, are we really as good as we say we are, yeah. or are we really as good as we think we are? And the answer to that question is still the jury's still out on it, you know, because fires are down according to some people. Fires are up in my district, you know. Civilian casualties compared to the fires that we have, the amount of fires, are fires down statistically across the nation from 1970 when the Bronx was burning? Absolutely they are. But the fire fatalities are still there. Oh, yeah. You know, so, and that's the big problem. And we have, and Elkhart said it, they they captured this so well with starving for information, or drown, we're drowning information, but yes. starving for wisdom. Yes. And that's, I think, where we are today is that we have so much information out that we never had before. And it's nothing revolutionary. And the, the, the funny thing about it is it's just confirming what the old heads that really made fire said and did. It's just confirmation. Now, there's some new stuff out there, and there's some new things that are coming to light with the UL studies, but it's confirmation. That's the best thing about this is it's confirmation. And what's better for them ultimately is better for us, meaning the fire department. So if I go into it, if I go into strategy and tactics with the mindset of making it better for the victim in every aspect of what I do on the fire ground, it in turn automatically makes it better for me. No Field doubt. says that best. What's better for them is better for me. But we have to put them, the guy in the pajamas that's laying down in the hallway, if I was that guy, what would I want the fire department to do when they cross the threshold? And do that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where you got to put it in your mind. You know, when you when you pull up to a structure fire, and, and this is a cliche, but when you pull up to a structure fire, operate like it's your house. Yeah. You know, and it and this comes back to that mask up debate for me, where with a lot of guys, is that if I pull up to my house and my wife's in the back room and I'm in the front yard because I'm not a fireman and I see you take a knee versus stepping off the truck ready to work. That doesn't sit well with me, you know, and we can talk about eight second mask up times all you want, but how many guys are actually efficient with that? I know a handful of guys that I know personally that will smoke eight seconds. Eight seconds is no problem for them, but I would say the majority of the country, you can watch YouTube and find out how that's going for a majority of the country, you know, and we're, we're looking at two, three, three, four minutes before water's put on the fire, yeah. you know, and it's, disheartening to watch stuff like that and people are quick to say negative things about departments like that but reach out and help them you know reach out and ask them what can i do for you to make you better you know what what information can i provide you to make you better because ultimately that's going to make it better for them and people forget who pay your salary your your salary is paid by tax money for the majority of the country and that tax money is paid for by the citizens of your fire district. Right on. So essentially, you work for them. Them. We work for them. And that mind frame has gone away for a lot of people, sadly. You know, and it's coming back, though. It's coming back. It's swinging. And I do think it's swinging. But uh, I'm with you. And you said it. How good are we actually? How good are we actually? Is, the, is such a great question. I think uh, Chris Tobin, I went and saw his Dare to Save uh presentation but it's i don't know if i was talking to him afterwards or not but he said hell give me a high school football team and an engine i'll put a fire out you know but again it goes back to thompson and measuring success 
how are you measuring the success, you know? And absolutely. Uh, I, I love it. Um, conference scholarships, we touched on that. So I'm going to move right to, uh, well, first of all, Jamie McCammon said the class Kyle put on at the worst fire conference up in Dallas was excellent. He and his guys shared a lot of great info and presented it in a way that was easily understood. And then Hannah Elliott, she's always so helpful here, but she said uh, 1272 versus 44. That's the current numbers as of today for civilian home fire fatalities versus total uh, line of duty deaths. So Numbers don't lie. That it is, man. I mean, it's, that's, if you can't understand 1272 versus 44. And, uh, so You said 44 is the line of duty death number? That's that according, according to Hannah as of today. And how many of those guys died in a building? That's the question. That, that's a really I ain't good taking question. nothing away from anybody. So, right. so those of you who are going to snipe me for that comment, feel free. But my intentions are good. I mean, how many of those guys are dying in fires on inside the building? And like I said, I'm not trying to take away anything away from a heart attack or a motor vehicle accident. But we have to have these honest conversations with each other to be able to dive into the information like Bill Carey does. You know, out of that 44 what does that mean? You know, is vertical ventilation that scary and dangerous? Is VES that scary and dangerous? How many of them guys op- were operating hose lines when they died? And and maybe I shouldn't go this route, but um, it opens me up for some stuff. But uh, it it's something you really need to look at. Look at that number and dissect that number down. And don't let the scary double digits affect your tactical deployment model. No, I can. You can go. I, I, I want to say it, NIOSH has it where you can go and you can click and you can see it broken down into the categories, and you can do your own research on how did this person perish. And and again, like Kyle says, taking away nothing from those who made the ultimate sacrifice in any way, shape, or form. But there is a difference between uh, being on a nozzle and fire attack affecting your tactics versus a heart attack post facto. And so, anyway, like he said, so anybody who doesn't have information on that. Check out Bill Carey and what he's studying. So Bill Carey is a great reference for that. And if you know Bill Carey, tell him I'm trying to get him on the scrap so I can talk to him about it. So, <laughs> All right. The uh, book. Time to talk books. You mentioned Layman already, so I want to hear what books do you have suggested that you think firefighters should read? And there are so many. There. <laughs> and i got a big old stack here I'm going to go through here in a second. Okay. But um, I'm just going to go through the ones that were most influential on me. And there's so many, and I and I, I hate doing. It. It's like talking. It's like listing mentors. You're always going to leave somebody out, you know. So, I've got a large stack here, but I'm all, I'm going to leave somebody out. And the the good thing about the fire service where we are today is that there's not one book. There's not one book that covers everything, and everybody has their own opinions on on things. And you can take from each one of these publications that I'm going to talk about. And there's so many more that I'm not going to talk about because we'd be here all night and I just have to empty my bookshelf over there. But I took uh, a good amount that made some really good positive influence on my tactical deployment model and on the engine side. Okay. And so one the second, first one, before you start rolling, I got to get a pen because yeah. I got to write these down. Yeah, no worries, man. That's my stretch. All right, go for it. First one for me for uh, pump ops was fire service hydraulics by Fred Shepard. That was a, uh, a, a, I gained a lot of, of information on how fire pumps work, how hydraulics work, um, getting water at the end of the nozzle, man. Fire service hydraulics by Fred Shepard. It's kind of difficult to find this one. This is the, uh, 
the hardback copy, but you can find it on Amazon. It's paperback. Okay. You know, you can buy it. The information's still out there. It's not dead yet, and there's nobody trying to kill it. You know, so we'll we'll see how that goes out for him. But uh, Fred Shepard has a ton of information in that book, and it's not the the end all be all for pump ops, but it really brought me into a mind frame on on pump theory and and water movement was a big part of that for me. Next up, Brannigans. Yes. Brannigans building construction is a must for anybody that wants to understand how buildings are built. Built. You want to understand how they come down? This one. Vincent Dunn, Collapse of Burning Buildings. He takes the information that Brannigans put in his book, because anybody that's read Brannigans, they're going to tell you, and I'll tell you, it's really dry information, but very important. And you have to be able to go through that information and apply it to your district. You know, I don't have row homes and tenements in my district, but that doesn't mean I don't need to learn about it. And that doesn't mean that I don't have buildings that are like that with common attic spaces. Right. I don't have railroad flats in my district because I don't live in that part of the country, but that doesn't mean I don't need to learn about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so collapse of burning buildings. What, what chief Dunn did there was take Brannigan's information and, put it into a building that's on fire. How do they come down? You know, what are, what are things that are going to cause issues when you put fire in the building or when you've had fire in the building and you're fighting another fire in the building, how do these buildings come down? And that'll keep you from wearing the building. Uh, It's very important to know how they're built, but more so I want to know how they come down. Right on, man. Right on. We can't get any further in the, in the fire department without knowing where we came from. Lloyd Lehman, was revolutionary in letting us know um, a different aspect of firefighting. And he came from the Coast Guard. Um, that you can research Layman, and I'm not going to give you a biography on Layman, but um, a lot of people blame the – man, i got to be real careful here. <laughs> um, little a lot of people – yeah. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that it wasn't Lloyd Layman's fault. He didn't invent the fog nozzle. He didn't tell you not to go inside. It's the misapplication of this information or, so to speak, bastardization of his information that caused the problem. It wasn't the information. What he used, and you'll know this if you research Layman, what he used were tactics that worked very well in confined, non-ventilated, non-occupied areas. Steel. That were steel, big time. Steel. And you were able to use, and he took what he did in the Coast Guard and pulled it into the to the structure. And it's not his fault that people misunderstood this information and bastardized it. He even outlines in the book when to use it and when not to use it, and when to be in the area and when not to be in the area when you use it. So the information's there. It's just like everything else, the UL studies. The water mapping study has probably been the most misunderstood part of that first stream study because man I'm, i might be hurting a lot of feelings with this one man but there's so much good information in those ul studies but people cherry pick information to fit their narrative and it's sad because you have to take it all in a whole and to me what i see what the water mapping study translated to was people building hallways with osb and making big wide circles down the hallway and not even getting accidental water in the room. You know, it's like going into a garage fire 
and making big sweeping motions at the ceiling. It's like the Volkswagen's on fire right, right there. there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right there. You know, there's an open door at the end of this hallway that you could be putting water in right now. And the analogy that I love the best and I use, and I can't remember who I stole it from, was making wide sweeping motions in a hallway is like bowling with the rails up. If you ever bowled with the rails up, just throw the ball. It'll get downrange. You know, and that's essentially what you're doing in a hallway like that. Now, is it bad to make large sweeping motions with the nozzle? No, that's not bad. And I don't want to, to get across to people that, that, that you shouldn't do that. If you're in a position to where you can't progress, you're out of hose, something's happening, and you need to cool locally, that's the best way to cool locally. I want to turn exothermic material into endothermic nice. material again. You know, so I want to cool the area around me. And that's that's how I'm going to keep from catching fire or being in a situation where where it's a point of no return or a go, no go like like Gagliano talks about, you know, but you've got to take this information and apply it to certain situations and be intentional with the information. And I think that's a missing step with with the way people not necessarily the studies. It's not the study's fault. It wasn't layman's fault. Application versus. That's right. It's the misinterpretation of this information that is the problem. So, Impressive. Uh, moving on. Go Fire Attack it. 1 and 2. Warren Kimball, Fire Attack 1 and 2. Fantastic, fantastic information. Fire Attack 1 and 2 from Warren Kimball. Kimble? If you don't have it, you need to get it. And it, some of these are hard to find. I was going to say, those look like they might be hard it. to find. Yeah, some of them are hard to find. At least, at least the original copies right, right. are hard to find. But you can find them on eBay. You know, you can find them on Amazon sometimes. Okay. Uh, but Chief Kimball stuff, fantastic information. And I actually found Kimball's work when I when we made the switch to smoothbore. And I was looking for some sound fire tactics from guys in the era before it really got into the big fog push in the automatic nozzle in the $1,500 nozzle that, that the salesman pushed you because sure. they made the most commission off of it. You know, and it's sad, very sad that a lot of salesmen have driven tactics around the country. Um, and, and these, these departments are being robbed, man. You know, the automatic nozzle has no business inside of a residential structure fire. In my personal opinion, um, there's a place for it. There's a place for every tool on the fire ground and being able to establish when and where those tools are used is what makes you a professional, what makes you a tradesman and makes you a thinking firefighter. Instead of being a robot, I want you to be an independent operator. And we have fog nozzles on our rig. It's on our bumper line. Attic fires, car fires, propane fires. There's reasons to have those nozzles. I'm not saying go go back to your department, throw all your fog nozzles in the garbage. But know when to use them. And know when they will be more advantageous to you in those areas. But anyway, I digress. That's how I found <laughs> one Kimball was, uh, was I was looking for smoothbore tactics. And I was looking for tactics in a in a compilation from back when the Bronx was burning, when back in those days, and and I, that's where I found Warren Kimball, and his work was excellent, excellent. Dave McGrail, McGrail, firefighting operations in high rise and standpipe to quit buildings. This is the Bible for standpipe operations, the Bible for high rise attack. Now there are there is another good book out there by uh, Stuckey. Stucky wrote a great book on high-rise operations as well, and I got that one over there too, but I just didn't have enough room on my table for all these books. But I really enjoyed Dave McGrail's book. 
it really broke down every part and piece to that operation and has some great case studies as well to try to set the stage on why he he believes the way he does and way the way we have transformed standpipe operations into what it excuse me into what it is now and the reasons for that dave mcgrail's book is top notch um if you have standpipes in your district you need to buy that book and you need to read it it's the standpipe bible and and I stand behind that. And I will say we're we're currently rewriting our SOGs to department wide or, or updating our SOGs, not rewriting, but you know, it's a living living work. But that is the book we are using to basically revise and and, and the standard for our standpipe ops on that SOG. Go ahead. Fantastic public publication. You know, uh my man Vincent Dunn wrote the foreword in there, and that was one of the things that drew me to it as well. Huge mentor of mine. I'm thankful to be able to host uh, webinars with him once a month. And, uh, it has been such a joy to be able to hold conversations with that man. And I learned way more in the 30 minutes prep time leading up to that webinar starting than during the webinar. You know, that's my chance that I can shoot questions. Oh at yeah. Him. Oh yeah. I can only you imagine know. the one-on-one the -on -one. Uh, wealth of knowledge, right. wealth of knowledge. Good Lord. Um, can you imagine? Ah, sorry. It's, uh, it's it's a, it's fantastic to be able to talk to him once a month and and whenever we get a chance to talk you know um has a lot of fantastic books is releasing a trilogy right now that i didn't even have on my shelf but i can't bring them all sure. you know but um his new books are, are fantastic publications he's already got another one he's coming out with pretty soon and then there's probably like three more on his computer you know but uh, i'm so blessed to be able to have that man as a mentor and being able to to call him um, anytime I need some advice. Well, here's Fantastic. what we'll do. And this, I mean this sincerely is I need to, uh, have a special Kyle Ramagus special of books that Kyle suggests, and we'll just do another scrap sometime and have even more, but go ahead. I mean that we seriously. Can do that, man. I'm, I'm being very serious when I say we're going to do that. So yeah, as long as you're willing, do I don't want to lock yeah, you I'm in. I'm but, down. Okay. I'll share my library, man. It's a, it's a big one. That's fine. You know, it hey, took me a while to compile. You know, right. but we'll uh, have to have the room so you can hold each one of them up as we'll go through. Yeah. All right. It's going <laughs> to, Hey, it's going to be the first weekly scrap special. It's going to happen. Yeah. All right, and and it. It, it all influences your, your tactical operations, man. It has to, you know, you, you got to get out of your bubble, you know, and you notice none of these guys are from Texas that I'm reading here. You know, you got to get out of your sphere of influence. And we were at a department. We are at a department that is young. 60s is when our department started and nobody is in the department that was there when we started right you know i am the most senior captain for our organization not the guy that's been in the fire service the longest but the guy that's been at the fire department the longest and i've got 16 years wow you know and and so we're young man and i did not have the senior man to tap on his shoulder and sit down at kitchen kitchen table and drink coffee with him so i had to seek out senior men Wow. You know, and I had to reach out to guys all across the country and, and, and whether they want to admit it or not, they're my mentors, you know, um, Brian Brush, Vincent Dunn, Aaron Fields, Jay Bonifield, Chris Gilpin. You know, I could sit here and name off names of my mentors that mean the world to me and have assisted in shaping who I am today. And I hate naming names because I always leave people out, but there are hundreds and get out of your sphere of influence and find mentors. Don't hesitate to, to reach out to somebody. All they can do is say no, but they can't say no if you don't ask them. You right know, so reach out to them. I'm towards the end of the list, man. You're good. There is no rush, brother. You go. Tom Brennan, Random Thoughts. Dude, that is, Probably yes. one of the best 
items in my library. This is a must-have. Whether you're an engine guy, whether you're a truck guy, whether you ride a squad and and do nothing but search, man, the back page article. So basically that book is a compilation of all of Tom Brennan's back page articles from the early years of where he was doing it in fire engineering. Um, But uh, wow, what a wealth of information. You know how many years it covers? I don't remember. But yeah. So much. Don't hesitate to write your books either, folks. Don't hesitate to write your books. You got to do it. So, man, um, what a wealth of knowledge Tom Brennan was. Uh, obviously, never got a chance to meet him, um, but uh, he has taught me so much, and I wish he was here that I could tell him how much that he's taught me through his through his articles. Um, they're short and sweet, but they're the information is like a punch. You know, it's it's very little. It's it's small. It's not a huge publication for each article, but it's straight to the point. You know, fantastic information. And there's a lot in my Google Drive and on the file section that comes from that book. Last, but certainly not least. There you go. The Book of Andy. This is the engine man's Bible. If you're riding an engine and you haven't read this book or you don't have a copy of this book, you are missing out. Um, a lot of uh, controversy, I would say, with that publication right there. Um, but fantastic information. Um, I would not be the engine captain that I am today without the information that's in that book. Um, if you have not read it, if you have not researched Andy Fredericks, you are behind the curve. Um, everything that you are hearing from any instructor that is teaching engine work today, no matter how old they are, they have either been influenced or influenced him to develop engine work in what it is today. And anybody that says any, anything different, I'll argue with them to the end. You know, Andy has done more for engine company culture than anyone that I can think of. Um, just the FDNY engine manual in itself has done more for engine work across the country than any other publications. You know, so get yourself a copy of the book, Andy. I reference it all the time. Um, he is He is missed. And I wish I could have met him, um, but uh, he has influenced me more than he will ever know, obviously, because he doesn't know Kyle Romagus. <laughs> but I wish I wish that I could have met him. Yeah, that's, no but that's my list for today, man. And I got so much more. I got probably ten shelves over there that we didn't even touch. Hey, we're going to do it. It's gonna be the it's gonna be the first weekly scrap special. It's gonna be the Kyle Romagus bookshelf special. <laughs> so it's gonna be fun. We're gonna schedule it. Yeah. So you're well, locked in it. now. You can't back out. So yeah. all right. Yeah. Something I do every scrap, and it's the last thing. It's the five questions for firefighters. A rapid fire, and it's just what your opinion. No, no holds barred. But uh, five questions for firefighters. Are you ready, sir? Shoot. Question one: What is the number one issue facing the modern fire service? Uh, misunderstanding information. We are are drowning in information, starving for wisdom, man. You know, so there is so much information out there today that it's easy to misinterpret, and it's easy to uh, misunderstand the information. Um, and it's not anybody's fault. It's just everybody's problem. I love that right there. Uh, not everybody's fault, but it is everybody's problem. That's right, man. Dude, hold on. I can't lose that one. <laughs> All right. Number two, what is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting? Information sharing. Um, I think that we have reached a point in the fire service where the ability to share information is greater than it ever has been before. 
And, you know, um, like Brian Brush says, if I didn't have anybody give me anything, I wouldn't have anything to give to you. You know, so we've got to be able to get to a point to where more people are open source with information. Um, let the people read it. I can tell you my opinion on, on smoothbore versus fog all I want. I'd rather you read the quantitative approach. I'd rather you read the book of Andy and let, let them tell you, you know, but um, I think the, the ease of ability to access information is the biggest. Uh, Philip came in and chimed in and answered for you. He said he's most excited about getting a ladder truck. So just seeing so you know. <laughs> that. Is that Philip Baird? Yeah. My man, that's my homie. He teaches us with FD Tactics. He's poking fun at me. I love you, Phil. Uh, I'll see you uh, tomorrow. He's actually in Iowa right now at the Damn Fools Conference, and we're teaching there uh, this weekend. Awesome. Uh, Number three, question number three. What is the best rank or position to have to hold to be in in the fire service? Nozzleman, hands down. There is no other position that I would want to do on the fire ground. If I could go tomorrow – and become a nozzleman for my fire department, not anybody else's. I don't want to work for anybody else. I want to work for my fire department as a nozzleman. I would do it tomorrow. And I'm sure Howard could probably make that happen with a demotion, but <laughs> you know, don't take me too serious, Howard. But nozzleman, man, hands down. The guy on the nozzle is, uh, um, in my opinion, the, the best job on the fire ground. Kicking ass, taking names, spraying water. That's right. All right. Yeah. It's all dependent on you, man. Nozzle. Everything on the fire ground supports the nozzle, and the nozzle supports the search. And Howard said, you cannot, just so you know. <laughs> All right, number four, best advice you ever received? Uh, when it's hot, turn the nozzle on and keep it on. You know, and uh, another second part to that, don't give it up. Don't you know, give it so up. Don't give it up. Don't give up the nozzle, and if it's hot and you can't see and you can't find the fire, open the nozzle. Nice. So that would that would be my biggest piece of advice that I was ever given. Final question. And you said this is an easy one, and most people find it easy, but I want to hear your answer. Heavy fire and tenable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? Nozzle all day. Nozzle all day, man. You know, I can take space, make space, and keep space that is already there to make room for that VES to happen. You know, so – I can cause more positive change to allow that operation to happen and feel comfortable. You know, so I feel way more comfortable searching off the line if I know water's flowing, you know, and, and like I said a while ago, everything on the scene supports the nozzle and the nozzle supports the search. And that's the whole reason we're in the building in the first place is to put ourselves in between victims and fire and that situation nozzle all day long. I love it. You can make it better. It's hard to argue. Yeah, man. And yeah. Howard, Howard, your chief chimed in once more. Chief Ryan Walt says he wants the roof. He wants the roof? Yeah. Of course he does. <laughs> oh, he wants the room. Is that what he said? No, he said roof. Oh, yeah. Well, that wasn't an option, Howard. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, Kyle, it has been, I think this might be, I have not smiled so much and had, had a good time on a scrap, and I don't know how long. So, I cannot say thank you enough for coming in, taking the time to share it, sharing all the books. Uh, I'm holding you to the fact that you are going to come back and we're going to go over your books. And I don't care if it takes us two hours. Yeah. We'll talk about yeah. each one. You say the strengths and weaknesses of them, and I'll build a list of books I have to buy. So there you go. Uh, we'll schedule it. Um, coming up next week, August 3rd, Mark Von Oppen, fully involved. He's going to be the guest on the scrap. The following week, Chief Reinwald himself, uh, the guy who bosses this man around, 
<laughs> and uh, after on that, and off the job. <laughs> so very excited. Uh, thank you everybody for coming in and spending time with us tonight. Thank you for the questions and concerns. If you have questions in the future, uh, post them on YouTube, t- Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I'll reach out to Kyle and he'll, I'll make him answer them if, if you send them. So other than that, uh, Kyle, thank you for coming on. Thank you for being such a wonderful guest. Thank you, buddy. Anytime, man. For everybody else, I hope the tone stays silent unless it's burning. Stay safe out there. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.